Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time checking us out, we are committed to helping you get 1% better one day at a time. And what that means is we go and we find interviews and we talk to people about their jumping off points, those moments in time where they can no longer continue doing what they're doing, but they're uncertain of what to do next. And we've interviewed high performing executive leaders, military leaders, academics, athletes. We want to find those messages of greatness and bring them to you so that we can all continue to improve. Every week we have Monday Mindset where we talk about how we can expand our self-awareness, how we can improve our emotional fitness so that we can show up as our best self for us, for our relationships, and our business. Please make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. Come find me on LinkedIn. It's Philip Nathram on LinkedIn. So hit the subscribe button. You can leave us a review on both Apple and Spotify. We need to know how we're doing, and we'd love to get your feedback. Also, we have the Whole Human Method newsletter. That's our way of communicating long-form content, whether it's a book review or another mindset tip or a quote or something that we can use to practice as a daily practice to raise our self-awareness. It is something you can try, something gentle to help you continue to expand your emotional fitness and see where that leads you in your life. So please join. There's a link right below. You can click that and we'd love to have you. Today's episode features Asma Pygir, an incredibly brave young woman who worked with U.S. forces to help not just herself, but 147 other young women escape the Taliban when Afghanistan fell. Her father had been working with U.S. forces and the Afghan government for over 15 years, and they were a marked family in Afghanistan on the day Afghanistan fell. And after being trapped for days at the airport, she worked with U.S. forces in secret to help get those girls out of country. Three were kidnapped, and she would not leave without them. So we hear this story of bravery and how she was able to help not just herself but others, and also what she plans to do now that she's out. Her message was pretty simple. If she's not successful, they win. So really looking forward to sharing this with you. And like I said, if you haven't already, join the Whole Human Method newsletter. We'd love to have you. The link is right below. Well, Asma, Asma Paigir, thank you so much for joining us here on the DC Local Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. I've, you know, I, I met you through some of the former guests and some friends of former guests that are all special forces uh, and retired special forces folks from SOCOM and the United States Army. And we're going to talk a little bit about your story and your journey of getting here into the United States, which they're a big part of. And, and just, you know, the bravery and the leadership that you exemplified helping some other people get out of Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been kind of you. I, I just tried and I did what I could have done. And I'm very grateful for every individuals that helped us, especially our mutual, um, our common friends that are in, in the U.S. forces that are serving 
I'm so grateful for them for helping us, for helping us to be in the United States and rescuing us from the Taliban. So thank you. So, you know, one thing that I give every guest on the show, uh, for those listening, they won't be able to see this, uh, but for everyone watching, these are refocus bands. And I give these to everybody that's been on. And, and the one that you chose, which one? Tell us the one you chose. I choose to start by doing just one thing. Yeah. And I love this code. I, I, when I read it, it just, this is just for me. It's perfect. Yeah, because it's really important that we do things that matters. Even if it's just one thing in a day, it matters that we do it. So Yeah. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad you picked that one. I'm wearing one that says hustle and heart will set us apart, right? And it speaks to me. And I've got another one that says face everything and rise, which is an acronym for fear. And, um, you know, it's something that we have to overcome. And that's probably something that you felt a lot of when you were, so you were kidnapped by the Taliban. Take us through that day. What, uh, let's, let's go back. What month was that? How long ago was that? Um, it was last year. It was in August. So the whole uh, chaos started on August 15 when the Afga- former Afghan government collapsed and the Taliban in the control of Afghanistan. So I was uh, I was on the street in the middle of the city on August 15 last year, and it was terrifying when I when I remember about that day and how it it happened out of sudden as I was walking. Um, on the street, I was about to go and meet my sister and have a lunch together. Uh, because of the traffic, I just get out of the car and I was walking and this whole chaos started. People start screaming that they are here, they are here. Shopkeepers were just keep closing their shops and everyone was in a rush. Everyone seems really terrified. It takes for me, few few minutes uh, to realize what was happening because I didn't know what they referring to, who they were referring to uh, specifically. But then, after a few minutes, I saw this um, earlier. To, before I saw this their their cars, I was hearing these gunfires. So um, in the middle of the city. Yes, just in the middle of the city. I heard the gunfires first and then people start screaming, running around. I didn't know what was happening. I was just freezing there. And then I saw that the cars are coming that are full of the Taliban soldier. I knew it because their, flags was, their flag was on the car and they were very uh, heavily weaponed, like every kind of weapons they had rifles and guns different types how far away from you were they um from my home well from where you were at that point in the city where you're standing from the taliban's car uh not not far away he just crossed the street and i was at the sidewalk i was inside and i saw it i i knew that everyone's fear was true I was terrified because uh, I heard about the Taliban being brutal about women's, about how the women should dress or how the women's, what they need to do, what they don't need to do. And honestly, that day, I did not have any um, proper dress according to their interpretations of Sharia law. 
What were you wearing? I was wearing uh, a very short top with the pants, with a, with a half skirt, and it was it was okay before the tall one. No one would have paid attention. No one no one would have cared what you were and how you walked on the Afghan Afghanistan street. But when I saw the Taliban, it creates the fear that if they saw me, what they're going to do to me. And that was very terrifying. I just remember that uh, I was trying to make a phone call to my parents and to say, this is the gantry just collapsed and I'm in the middle of the city. I may not be able to come home. I, I may not be able to see you again, but... Because everyone rushed on the communication channels uh, network, the network was completely down, mm. and I could not make any phone call. So, yeah. And my sister was on her office when she heard that the Taliban already succeeded the government. She was terrified. She was trying to call me because she knew I was on the way, but unfortunately, she couldn't make any phone call. And your sister was here in the United States, right? Uh Yes. Well, I have two sisters. Have two. Oh, okay. So you have another sister that was yes. there with you. I have Azadeh. Azadeh Paigir. She was studying in University of uh, Nebraska at Omaha. She was in the United States. I'm so grateful that she was safe among all of us. And I have another sister. Her name is Umulwanin Paigir. And she was working with German organization. She was in Afghanistan when mm. the country collapsed and she was in her office. And where's her office compared it, to where you were at the time? Uh, it's in Shahrinaw, Kabul. I was also in Shahrinaw, Kabul. Okay. And I was kind of five to seven minutes away by walking to her office. But uh, like I saw the Taliban's car. It was all like full of soldiers. I was terrified. I was scared. I couldn't go that way because Taliban just went to that same direction that I was heading to. So the safest option was turning my face back and trying to go back home. But um, I was far away from our home. And the problem was everyone got scared because it happened so suddenly. There was no transportation available. Like public transportation was shut down, all the taxis that you wanted to take, everyone was in a rush. Everyone was trying to make it home, to make it to their families, to their loved ones. Everyone knew what the Taliban are capable of doing. So mm-hmm. everyone's trying to save their lives, trying to be with their families. We didn't know what's what's gonna happen, what kind of brutality or violence Taliban are going to show. So. Yeah, and so you're and your dad, your dad was in the infantry with Afghanistan and working with the U.S. troops, right? Yes, um, my dad was almost working with the U.S. forces uh, for 15 years, and it was working for U.S. government as a contractor for two ad- additional years. And so, where was he at that time? Was he was he Somewhere, was he in the city or was he at home or was he, where was he? Well, we are very fortunate about it that my par- my parents and my little brother were at the home. Well, my I remember my dad had to go to the to his office, but he has um, he has a, a health 
conditions and he has an appointment with his doctor at that at the afternoon so he 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 take a leave that day to go to her his appointment in the afternoon How crazy he just so he just so happened to be going to the doctor that day yes it just happened in in a in a an hour before he leave the house so he gets the news that the country collapsed and he needs to like leave his house immediately did you make it back home yes i made it home but it takes for me like six to seven hours to make it home because I need to walk the street to home because there was no car or taxi or transportation available. The other thing is all the main roads were being occupied by the Taliban soldiers. They were on all main streets. Did they have blocks and they weren't letting people through? Or They were there. And, you know, um, well, if you are a man versus if you are a woman, it, it creates a different scenario when in when you are in a country like Afghanistan. So uh, for me as a woman, it was terrifying to cross the soldiers of the Taliban using the main roads. Because I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't dressing according to their interpretations or any kind of full job or anything. I was dressing, to be honest, very westernized according to their, um, to their words. They are saying, and you know, you know what they are capable of doing. You know, if you walk through it, some some of them may take me away and rip me, or just kill me, or just hang me up to make me as an example for the rest. So that was super scary, and I take uh, that uh, I take this risk of not going among those uh, soldiers. I use their the sap roots the small roads, mm-hmm. but because I was not familiar with the city's uh, roads, so it takes me like six to seven hours to solve the puzzle and get home. To find your way home. How long, if that wasn't the case, how long would it take you to walk home? Uh, one and a half to three hours. So it was double the time. It took you six hours, you said, right? What happened when you got home? Uh, well, whom, I will define you how whom feels. Before that day, whom always feels to me as some, some, a place to be safe, a place out of worriness, a place to relax, to have people who can support you. That was how I was feeling about whom. When, when that day I reached home, um, home was not feeling the same home that I was always returning. It was different. My parents were shocked. They were terrified. I just remember how my mom was in a hurry and she was she was scared and she knew the Talbots are coming. So she started to burning every documents that my father had that were uh, proof that he was working with the U.S. government. Basically, she burned anything she can find in the house. She was thinking, if we get rid of these documents, the Taliban may not be able to recognize us, and we, we may be able to save our life. But that wasn't, unfortunately, the case. Uh, when I reached home, among those all things, um, friends of my father just texted my father he was kind of our neighbor he was 
living across the street in a in an apartment like the three third floor or fourth floor of the apartment and he saw that the Taliban spices already marked our house our How, door with what like with with a uh, with a white collar so and that meant that you were working with the US that meant we were working with the US and that that was just a matter of times so that we get leave the house and escape or we can just wait for the tall ones how did they know do you know how they knew um, i am not sure but one thing i knew is their intelligence is was stronger like they knew who within the city was working obviously and they went by marked their doors and yeah and and you're home with your mom alone at this point no i was home with my mom with my dad and my little brother so your dad came home oh my dad was never left the home he he, he, he take the leave from the job to go to his appointment his appointment was around 1:30 p.m. and it was 1 hour away from the house okay. so he was supposed to leave at 12:30 but the country flops to the tall one's hand around 10:40 a.m. It wasn't even 11 a.m. The country just closed. And social media spreaded the news faster that Taliban soldiers can reach the doors of people. Is that how you found out? I was going to ask, were you watching the news or did you get something on your phone? Like, how did you know when you found out? Obviously, you saw cars in the street and gunfire. But like, how are you getting updates as to what was happening? And how did your parents find out what happened? Like, what was it on the news or were those channels shut down? Uh, it was on the news as well as, well, it will take, these days it will take even time to get on the news because social media is very powerful and everyone was posting from all across city that, uh, Talbots just succeeded the government. They took the government and it was very sad and no one was, it was shocking for everyone. No one was believing that it is happening. But that's why it gets spread very fast. So in all platforms in social media, you could have seen this, that that the message was mm-hmm. circulating around. So and so your mom in like a fireplace or just in the kitchen or where was she burning all the documents? Like in, in the yard. In the yard. So outside. So she was burning everything. What was your dad doing? What was your brother doing? Like what else was going on at this time? Were you guys packing up and planning to leave or? Uh, my mom was. Absolutely. She was scared and she was terrified and she was doing everything that she can do to protect her family. And my small brother, his name is Massey. He is just 13 and a half years old. So he is very young to understand what is happening, to understand how how world can change within hours. So he he was terrified. Uh, When I reached home, I remember the looks in his eyes and the, in his face it was different he didn't he didn't know what was happening he just was so scared and he was just sitting at the very corner of the room not knowing what's happening because my mom was opening any closet any drawer any cabinet finding all these documents finding the flags we had uh, my father was working with the u.s forces in afghanistan for 15 years Along with, he was in the Afghan National Army. He was for working with the U.S. forces and um, had a lot of pictures. 
and a lot of medals from the U.S. Army. So my mom was burning the pictures, burning the contracts that he had with the U.S. government. Basically, anything that can identify us. But, you know, in our family, it was difficult because not only my father worked with the U.S. government, but my sister also worked uh, with the with the U.S. government. Uh, counterpart is an organization working for election in Afghanistan. And my sister, Umm Banin, was working on that when uh, when the Taliban exploded her office and tried to uh, and did an explosion and an attack on, on the counterpart international group in Afghanistan. On that same day? No. On, if I'm not wrong, either it was in 2018 or 2019. And she survived? Yes. Thanks God. Um, they were being saved, but that day, that explosion, that attack of uh, the Taliban caused their their organization to close in Afghanistan. So counterpart shut down at that point? Yes. After that explosions, they they keep their uh, organization open for for a month or a half month, and then they closed because due to the security risks. So it's your sister that's working with the U.S. as well as your father. Yes, and it's... Our family was kind of very visible because my, yeah, my brother was also working with the U.S. Um, projects in Afghanistan. Your younger brother? No, my older brother. Your older brother? How old is he? Uh, he is older than me, but let, let me just introduce my family from the beginning. So I have my mom, my dad, and then I have my older brother. His name is Mustafa Faigir. He's right now in Canada. He's living like four years. It's been four years that he, four to five years, I can't remember. He's living in Canada. And at the time of the government collapse, he was also in a safe place. Then I have um, my other sister, Azada Paigi, that she directly helped us to be rescued from the Taliban. She was studying in in United States. Then my I have my other sister. She was in Afghanistan, uh, in working in a German, German German organization. Then it's me. I was just returning from Bangladesh because of the COVID-19 lockdowns and I was uh, about to study online. But unfortunately, because of lack of electricity and internet connections, I could not continue my educations online. And I have my younger brother, Messi. He was just in high school, starting in high school. So that's our family and almost everyone, um, all my father and my siblings, older siblings, they all work with the U.S. government and my dad was working with the U.S. forces. So we were kind of being really an obvious family because yeah. this 20 years of peace and stability was provided as this opportunity and our family use it to the best of their ability. So we all get educated. We all graduated from university, well, except me, because I am heading to Virginia Tech to study. Right. Yeah. And that my sisters, my brother, they all graduated from university. They all knew uh, perfectly English and they're all working with the U.S. government or U.S. organizations or U.S. Uh, NGOs in Afghanistan. Yeah. 
Now we've talked about how your sister, your sister Azada, who's here and was in Nebraska at the time. She was working with the United States troops to come find you. But yeah. how did, like, what happened after your mom was burning everything yeah. to the point where the Taliban had you? Um, well, it's, it's, those days were kind of frustrated days. And, well, going back to August 15, when I reach home, I have this, everything going on in the house. Right after that, my sister also reached home. The moment she reached home, we had this call uh, from from my father's friend that was living across uh, the street. He said that my father needs to leave the house immediately if he wants to survive. My father knew that it's end of the story. Be honest, we didn't know what's going to happen. We all knew we were all terrified, and we were just counting down our every single minute because we knew the tall ones are coming. It was just a matter of time. And you know what? One thing the tall ones are doing is coming into your house at the night when sun is down and trying and murder you and your family, whoever or that worked in this 20 years against them or against their ideology. And when tomorrow, when, when the sun uh, rise tomorrow, they'll say, oh, we didn't do that. Who, who is the witness? What are the proofs that we did it? This family might have some enemies. Their enemies did it. So no one has enemy inside the city that murders everyone. So like from, from a family, not even an infant survived. That's kind of very brutal. So that's their way. That's their method. And honestly, even today they are doing that. It's not a free media available in Afghanistan. This, this, this news never gets to the press, never gets to the international news. And people around the world don't know about it. But this kind of brutality and violence happen in Afghanistan every single day. Everyone who is against the Taliban or against their ideology is being kidnapped, being murdered some way, in one way or other. And if you ask the Taliban government, they're saying, like, it's not us. So if it's not you, then who is it? Mm-hmm. And you've seen this like in, in real life, like happen in front of you or around you. You've seen those things. And I mean, I can only imagine how much, how scared that that must make you to see these things that often or yep. at all, really. Yep. Well, <laughs> I heard about their brutality from the last regime they had in Afghanistan 20 years ago, even so before I was born. you doing this. Yes. When I was, I was born after the Taliban's uh, government. I was born during this 20 years of peace. So uh, I didn't know how it looks like, how the government was, but I heard about it from my parents, from our relatives, from our friends, that they were like this, they were like that, and to some extent in the books. But our, our books are limited history book in Afghanistan. I don't know why, what is the reason, but they do not let us to study the contemporary history, if I'm right. Yeah, or like, you know, former history where yes. the Taliban was in yes. rule and what they used to do. Yes. They, they make a law in the parliament that was banned from all education institutes. And 
including schools and universities. So if you attend school or universities in Afghanistan, you will not going to study the the recent history of Afghanistan. All you need you will study is the five years old history that we had that thus far. So not the recent history. Yeah. But we hear this and to some extent we read it on some other books. My father loves to read books. He has um we part of our house was um my father's office and he had this um library that he he loved to keep and save the first edition of the books and he has plenty of books that was really useful. So growing up I was using my father I was reading my father's books. Okay, so you were learning about the history even though yes. you know in school they prevented you from but at least you knew like yeah. how dangerous this regime can be. So what was it like growing up in Afghanistan before any of this was going on? Do you have positive, happy memories from childhood? Like you were just, were you playing sports? Were you hanging out with your friends and just, you know, you have all these memories in the house. Is that what most of the stuff that was around, like certificates from school and pictures of you with other people? And Yes. Uh, well, well, when, when, when I use word peaceful and stable, stable country, it does not apply to countries like United States or this part of the world. So it's not our version of peace? Yes. If we say peaceful and if people say no, it wasn't. But for us, that was very peaceful because it was. we had a government. We had a constitution. According to the constitution, women's, men's, and everyone's was equal. They were treated equally. So we have all these amazing laws. Uh, well, one is having law, one is implementations. So we have some issue implementing some of those laws. But I mostly grew up in the city, in Kabul city. So Kabul city was, in my definition, it was peaceful. So I, I was attending high school. I was attending high school in peace. And I was, it was out of being worried about anything. I had fun growing up. I had friends. And I used to play um, basketball in in a park that was just like three minutes away from our house with my other friends. And uh, that was nice. The school was nice. Well, a lot of those things changed now. If 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 we look at it. Right now, we see the Taliban are even closing the doors of school to the women and the girls, of Afghan, Afghan women and girls. So at that time, no one was questioning this. School, going to school was a basic right. And everyone was attending. Uh, no one knew how, how, how valuable it is, how it is privileged to, to be able to attend and we had women that were working. They were like going high school, but then getting a degree from a university and then entering the work, workers, work forces, work, and then uh, getting driving license, being able to drive around the city, like owning a, a house, a property, or um, doing a lot of those stuff, being able to get a divorce. Is one of the main things that happened in 20 years. <laughs> I'm sorry to say no, that. No, no, no. But it's, it's interesting. Um, well, um, 
for a very long time uh, in Afghanistan, it was dominating that only men can divorce women, their wives. But in this 20 years, what was happening, one of the most surprising uh, thing was um, that women also can divorce their husbands. That was an amazing thing that happened. Yeah. And the other thing is the custody of the children. Most It was dominating that custody of the children was, was forwarded to the father. But in the last 20 years, we had cases that women win the case in the court and get the whole custody of the children or shared custody. So these wow. are all highly accomplishment of these 20 years of peace and instability in Afghanistan. And one thing I, I say and people get amazed is the genocide. These 20 years bring peace and stability for people like me, like we are Hazara, and Hazara was being genocided, being brutally massacred by the Taliban in their previous regime. But when the U.S. forces came to Afghanistan, the U.S. presence, the U.S. forces presence helped us to stop this genocide and the Taliban were no longer able to kill us. Because there was a government, there was a constitution, there was an equality according to that. So we lived in peace without being worried, without being worried to be executed, prosecuted. We, we didn't, yes, we were still other minorities, but we could fight for that. We could gain, gain power in the government, in the parliament, in the executive office. But right now, if you see in the Taliban regime, you see it's just the Taliban. It is just one ethnicity that's dominating. And the whole other ethnicities in Afghanistan, the whole other sub-religions that are in Afghanistan are being pushed away, marginalized. And in their own way, they are prosecuting people. They are silently, silently making a move every single day to get rid of one family, second family, third family. And if this goes happen, if it, it goes like this, I'm sure we will we will get rid of the diversity in Afghanistan. That's where it's at. Well, let's go back to that day. So your dad, your your home, your mom's burning everything or as much as she can, and your dad gets this phone call. Who's on the other line of that phone call and what do they say? Um I am not sure what what the other person said. I just knew the message that the Taliban marked our house and we need to escape, like leave the house immediately. So what did you guys do? Did you pack and, and get out of there? We just ran. The first thing my father was just, um, he when he when he hung the phone, he said, grab your passports because without passports, we cannot go anywhere. So he said, grab your passports. We need to leave immediately. So I just remember to pick up my passports and uh, my education documents that I had. Those are the only things that I picked. And then my mom packed uh, other stuff. But we also take one extra clothes, one backpack. So each person had one backpack. Yes. And we, we left the house within like uh, less than 10 minutes. Were you on foot or were you in a car or how did you get out of there? We just... Well, we just left on foot. Okay. We left the house. We left the car because 
if they identify the house, they surely can identify okay. the car as well. Right. So we are not going to take that risk. And your mom wanted to burn the house down, right? Yes. And we, we prevented, we stopped her from doing that because that could have uh, make it more, make it a scene and we became more visible to the Talbans. Right. So you wanted to quietly just kind of get out of there. Where were, were your neighbors home? Were they leaving also? Was it like an entire neighborhood of people scattering or was it just, what were people locked in their homes and just trying to hunker down? Everyone was so scared. So everyone was uh, making to their house, locking their doors, staying inside. But for people like my father, my family, it was just a matter of times. No matter which part of the city they are, they need to skip because the spices of the Taliban on the area already marked their houses. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure about this one. And were the spies on the street? Was, was the Taliban actually walking along the street as you guys were walking and you were, were you avoiding, trying to avoid them? And uh, As I said, they were, um, their focus was on the government and government branches that day. Okay. They were occupying the main street to ensure that no one is like moving around. But we, we kind of living in a neighborhood. So it's very difficult for them to, in one day, to get succeed to the government and be able to get everywhere. What they do is just sending their spices to mark the houses and then their, their next team will come up and then kill everyone. Yeah. All right. So you're walking along and, and where are you guys heading? Do you know where you're going? So <laughs> I, I cannot share. Okay. A lot of the details, but we have some, my father friends that were not working in a government or, or in the military. They were like civilians and we had some relatives. So I'm so grateful for them for letting us to stay in their houses. I know that the risk they take and the kindness that they show to us, if, if we were being caught, they were being killed along with us mm-hmm. because they helped someone to tell one say there is no help for them. So if you work with the U.S. forces or with the Afghan government, Taliban send an order to kill you and your family. And if anyone else try to help you, they will get the same punishment right. according to Taliban rules. But I'm so grateful for these people who helped us. So um, we knew we need to leave the Afghanistan as soon as we can. Because there is no hope or no future left in Afghanistan for us. So we we tried to go to the airport. Because that was the only place that was uh, uh, the U.S. forces were there. And uh, the only safe place that we can leave Afghanistan through that. The next day that we tried to go to the airport, as you can see on the, as you, as you watched on the news, it was very crowded because everyone was trying to escape Afghanistan. Everyone was desperate. In that chaos and that lot that was happening, I, uh, I, I kind of get separated from my parents because it was so crowded. I left, I, I went that side and my parents went the other side and I lost them. And I was scared too because uh, we weren't going to the same house again. They had to go somewhere else because we can't stay in one place. Right. And I couldn't make phone call from my parents because they 
because security reasons, they just get rid of your phone, especially my dad and my mom as well. So I had my phone because, uh, well, basically I was not working with the U.S. forces. So that I had this phone and I was sure that they were not going to um, track my phone. So I keep that, my phone, but they get rid of the phones and the SIM cards as well. So to be able to sure, make sure that they are not going to follow us. Right. So I couldn't make the phone call with my parents or find them in the crowd. But then I received this text message from my school from Bangladesh that they are trying to help us. Um, and I joined my um, classmates from Bangladesh, Asian University for Women in Bangladesh. It was one ET student in total first day that we, we, we joined and we tried to get inside the airport. It was almost seven passes of the school girls and we tried to enter the airport um, seven to eight times in, in, a, tech, in a course of uh, six five to six days so over so over five to six days the school had buses there for their students or yes they coordinated the buses because we all like studied in asian university for women if you knew about this school it, this school is f- famous for uh for empowering the women so if you study in such a school you are Trade to the Taliban and their regime because you know about your rights. You'll be aware of everything. And we knew that their government is not legitimate. Violence is not a way to succeed a government. It's not a way to to garner or to run a country. Mm-hmm. And we know that from the, that moment that they can take control of Afghanistan, they are not the people that that we can live with. Yeah. I mean, 100%, right? And so, but I want to, they, they set this convoy up to try to get you out of the country. Were there roadblocks preventing you from getting into the airport or were there just that many people at the airport all at once that you couldn't get in? Yes. Well, a combination of both. So they, um, well, we all studied initial university for women we own this scholarship and those scholarships were kind of funded by the by the US organizations and the sponsors they all were concerned about us because we are kind of being an asset that we get invested in these years of education, be able to go compel the country and then the country collapsed. And we are all at the risk. So they said we need to save these girls. We they make all the connections with the U.S. government, with the Bangladesh government. Uh, the plan was that they will send a charter flight plan plane in the Kabul airport, and we get inside the airport, get on the plane, and leave for the Bangladesh. Okay. And this was uh, this was the plan, initial plan, and it was seven passes of one hundred eighty students. We tried to attempt the, to get inside the Kabul airport. All the gates were being uh, guarded by the Taliban soldier. And whenever we tried to pass those uh, gates, they were not allowing allowing us. And they were like uh, threatening us once they beat our driver. 
if we ever try again, they will shoot us. But there was not one single gate to the airport. There were multiple gates. So what we were doing was, if this gate was not letting us inside, we would have go through another gate. So we did this. I remember that once we stayed 24, 26 hours on the bus, we had not no food to drink, no food to eat, no water to drink. And the other time we had uh, to stay there for 33 to 34 hours. Just on this bus with? Yes, day and nights and try to get to the, to the gates. And there were some gates that were all like being proud of people that we could not pass those gates either. So we were trying as hard as we could to get inside the airport, but each attempt was being denied by the Taliban. They threatened us that if they ever saw us again, they will shoot us. Mm-hmm. They beat our driver. They they shoot at our passes. So I, I just remember at one of these uh, nights that they were not letting us inside, I was getting out of the bus. I tried to reason with one of the Taliban soldiers to let our passes to pass because we have all of the right documents. We have our passports, we have the visas, and we have the pass. But these soldiers tried to hit me with the, the back of rifle in my head. Fortunately, it missed my head, but it, it hit my shoulder. So that was um, kind of scary. Yeah. But it did not deter me or anyone, any of the girls that was on the buses. We all knew what's were what the Taliban's are capable of doing. So living under the Taliban government or under the Taliban rule was not an option for us. But it did deter some, it did uh, discourage some of us. So I told you in the first day we were 118, 180 girls. But on the last day, it was only 150 students or girls Mm. because 30 of us, discouraged if the 30 of us lost their hopes they feel that they cannot get into the airports and these attempts are nonsense and that we will not be able to pass so what happened because i know that like you know and and is this so your sister i want to talk about your sister that's here for a second she's in nebraska and by this time you haven't had any contact with her at all right she doesn't know where you are if you're okay what's going on. She at that time used LinkedIn actually, right? LinkedIn and some facial recognition type of software that you can just do on the internet to like put in. Yeah. And this is in, also with your brother, I think in, in Canada, right? To put in a picture of your father with the U S forces, the special forces guys that he was working with just to try to find a contact of someone they can reach out to, to say, to ask for help. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely right. We have an old saying in our country to be to be in the trouble is better to see that someone you loved is in trouble. So for my sister that was in the US and my brother that was in Canada, it was far far worse than the experience that we had because they they knew anything could happen to us and they could have lost their families forever. But I'm super happy that I have my siblings, I have my sister and my brother, because they did not stop. Day and nights, as you said, they tried 
LinkedIn. They, uh, well, my father had a lot of pictures with the U.S. forces. They uploaded those pictures. They activated the link, uh, their LinkedIn premium. They used the software. They reached to anyone who, who worked with my father to get help, to get help and be able to help us. So they make this connection with the one of, uh, one of my father's friend named Chris. And I'm so grateful not only that he helped par- my parents later, but he also managed to help me and my other 150 girls to pass mm-hmm. the gates of the Taliban. And what was happening? How did they do this? Well, in, I told you, like, in each attempt that we tried to get into the airport, the Taliban soldier was denying the passes and we need to return and leave the area. Mm-hmm. But the last time, it was around 1 a.m., at the night, in the middle of the night, they did not let us to pass the gate, but they also did not let us to leave the area. And if you are seeing the, the Afghanistan um, map, map, Kabul airport map, it, we were on the main route to the Kabul airport, and they stopped us, our passage just right in the front of Ministry of Interior, which was torn to big camp of the Taliban soldier and that was when I feel that it is suspicious and it did not look good because and they trying I, I could have seen and saw, saw the soldiers of the Taliban they're walking across these buses and screaming at other people that they needed to leave the area but they did not let us leave the area they somehow kept us there and I feel like that might be the end. That really might be the end. Because they could have done anything. There was no witness. There was nothing. And I had, I just grabbed my phone and I texted my sister, also that, that she was already in the United States. And I told her what was happening. And I told her that this might be the last message that you will receive from me. Because this is what's happening in here. And she said that, hold on, I will grab, uh, I'll call for help. <laughs> I could not believe that that moment anyone is able to help us. Because it was so scary. It was so frustrating. And then I had, um, I, I remember that I was sitting at the, at, at the bus, hopeless, in my mind, in my imagination, I go through all the worst case scenario that could have happened to me, to the to the girls that were on the buses. The Taliban soldiers were capable of any kind of crime that you can think of about it. They could have forced us to marry their soldiers. They could have raped us. They could have se- se- torn, torn us to sexual slaves or worse than that, or execute us. Anything. They are capable of doing anything worse than these crimes. And I was thinking about all these things that might happen to me and I was so scared. Then my sister just texted me back and said that, uh, look, my friends, uh, my, our father's former, uh, our father's friend that working in a, was working in the U.S. forces trying to help you, but they need some informations. 
we'll be able to pass to the U.S. forces on the ground and rescue your team. And she sent me a list of things that they needed. That your list, phone? Yes. In a text message? In a text message. Okay. Yes. And, uh, and the other thing is, um, what was scary? It was night. And if you use your phone, it was really visible. They'll see it. The they, they will see it. Um, we were advised to not use our phones, our phone, cell phones, and to not make any contact to anyone or to share our locations to anyone because it might put uh, uh, us in the danger. Taliban could identify us, could cut us, and one can turn the whole group into danger. So this was their ideology. This was the what we we were directed by the university. But when we stopped there, I knew that it's not looking good. So I break that rule. I said, if I'm going to die, at least I, I let the last person in my family that I have contact with know about it. Know that I'm gone here. I'm going missing. These are my friends. This is what's happening. And and then she replied and said that, oh, they need this information. Send some pictures. And I was not sure how I'm supposed to take pictures and not being seen by the Taliban soldiers right. that were just walking by the buses. So I overcome this fear and say that I could do this and there's a hope that we all be rescued and or I cannot do it and stay here forever. It's just a matter of times the Taliban decide what they're going to do to us. And I overcome my fear and said like, if I'm going to die, it's at least this is the last thing I can do to fight it against this 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 thing. I can like get out, get us help. I can do something. So I overcome my fear. I I turn the, my phone flash uh, off and I take some pictures. I shared all the informations, the groups list that we had, the number of the students, the passes, the and I shared our my life locations, and that information was uh, passed to the U.S. forces on the ground, and they were like locators, and they knew that we are right behind the gates, and this is the Taliban that are guarded the gates and not not letting us to get inside the back, inside the airport. So I don't know what was the deal, but they make this negotiation with the Taliban that. They need to let us in because our group was already approved by the U.S. government. And the last, um, sorry to interrupt, but there's one thing to, to say. We, on August 26th, there was an explosion on the Kabul airport that caused 13 service servicemen and women of the U.S. forces to die and also around 100 to 150 of Afghans national to die. So we were just on 27 that all this happened, just right the day after the explosion. And on the day of explosion, we were 10 minutes away from the explosion. I witnessed how the explosion happened. We were, because it was so crowded, we couldn't see, but we saw the smoke of the explosion and if you're in an explosion area, you can feel the vibration that it caused. 
so we all feel the vibration that was how close we were on the, on the explosion so but even that explosion never stopped anyone anyone of us from leaving the country so going the other night i shared all this information and then the us forces to my best knowledge they said uh, to the tall one that they need to let us in because it was very sensitive um, things what the tall ones was were doing is guarding all these gates and when the US forces or US governments asked people to get into the airport because they could not cross these gates of the Taliban they could not get into the airport so it was an assumption with the US forces that these people never tried to get into the airport but the truth is the Taliban was not letting anyone inside mm-hmm. so there was a, a disconnection so the Taliban was saying that people weren't trying to leave they were not letting anyone leave right the reality is they weren't letting people into the airport but they were saying to the US that no one is trying to leave yes but no one is showing up so who who we supposed to let inside right they were just lying about that they're like yes. we don't see anybody here no one's trying to leave i don't know what you're talking about meanwhile there's buses full of people and everyone lined up outside of the airport yes i to get i in. yes i remember the last night that they kept us they there are cars and there are buses that some of them were foreign nationals that were trying to get inside the airport they're all being denied by the Taliban they're all being turned around and their buses their cars were le- well, was leaving and I was seeing that they're all leaving and it was adding to my fear and to my consciousness that something is wrong because they keep us here and so do they let you in well when the information was passed to the US forces uh, US forces managed to locate us outside the gate so they contacted the tall one and said they need to let us inside so they let us inside but they they uh, threatened us that if we ever talk about what was happening that night or what was happening uh, behind those gates of the Kabul airport they will murder our family we we are going to leave we are going to be safe but if we return back they will immediately kill us for sure no no doubt on that one but they also will kill our family members that were left in Afghanistan and i don't know how but they had our all information including our passport passport numbers so if they have the, the passport department database they can they can easily locate our houses and our families and they can get rid of the rest that were left in Afghanistan and when they let us to get inside the airport they also take away all of the belongings that we had our backpacks our computers our or everything the only thing that the latest get inside was our um passport and they took your phone um no we just not we just keep it we hide it honestly yeah if they saw it they would have taken it away and they would have known that you texted or they, if they looked they would have been able to see what you were yes. doing yes uh for those of us who are smart we are talking about 150 students so mm-hmm. Some of us, they weren't like smart enough to take the even take their phones away, but uh, we hide our phones. <laughs> I'm not going to go on the details, but yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, we hide it, and uh, that one was um, we keep our phones, hide our phones, and pass it to the Taliban gates and passports. And the last thing that the latest inside was our education documents. Okay, it was just one piece of paper, and I say we all say that look, it's a piece of paper you don't need it, but we need it, and it, this is how they going to like recognize us. So we need our passport and our educational documents. So we <laughs> trick them. Okay. Yeah, and we passed these gates and we were uh, managed to get uh, join the U.S. forces and they, they welcome us. And well, at that moment that we were sitting on the, on the yard or outside waiting for to board it on the plane and leave Afghanistan, I noticed that Few of my classmates did not make it to the to the, to the airport uh, because they were being taken by the Taliban as a hostage. Well, they are not saying that they are taking them as a hostage, but we knew what they are going to do. Mm-hmm. They just take these three girls away and say that, well, we are not going to let these girls go inside bringing some nonsense excuses like we have this list, their names, Names are misspelled in the in the list, and stuff that does not even make any sense. And when we saw, we knew that. Uh, when I saw, I knew that the worst case scenario is going to happen for these three girls. When we reached the other side of the gates, on that yard uh, outside that where we that where we were waiting, a lot of these girls were in a joy, in a happiness. They were all into their world that they were safe. And they are going to leave the Afghanistan. And I was honestly not ready to leave Afghanistan. Because I, in my life, I never left anyone behind. I, I wasn't ready to let these girls to face the horrible consequences that we all could have faced together. But we get lucky, we get inside, but they are taking as a hostage. I... I, I remember that I was running around asking every soldier, who is the commander, who is the captain, who is in charge in here? These are the U.S. soldiers. Yes, the U.S. soldiers. And because we needed help. And they told me that uh, they introduced me to their captain. And I had this conversation with the captain. And he wasn't ready to make any move. He wasn't willing to do. Because... From a um, military point of view, from a mission view, if you see, you have a group of 150 in a very sensitive environment, and you manage to save 147. So the mission is a success. You saved a huge number. The tree can happen any, anywhere. So everyone can, like, we save this one. Let's, like, send them away, and then we'll think about the rest. But I wasn't ready to do that. I was just talking with this captain, trying to convince him. And I contacted my father's friends again. And I told them that, look, 147 of us are safe. We are in the in, in a safe side of the airport. But two of us are being taken away by the, by the Taliban. We need to do something about it. And... They had um, they had to go and talk with the U.S. forces in the United States, and then they had to share the information and the order with the captain on the ground. 
So it was a chain of command that was happening there. And also it wasn't just me and the captain on the ground. There were a lot of people in the United States that make this happen. I'm so grateful for every single one of them. They, they were like a group of people, eight to nine people, an organization was kind of involved in this process. So they, they passed information and then the captain that was on the ground, he took the risk, he go and negotiate with the Taliban and managed to bring those girls inside the airport. And they, they joined our team, these, yeah. these girls. And I'm super happy that that happened. But if this captain is listening to this podcast, uh, podcast today i want to thank him especially from bottom of my heart i'm so deeply grateful for you for your soldiers for everyone who was that in afghanistan airport and help us and rescue us thank you for your courage for your bravery and for the risk that you take to save our team and most importantly the last three girls thank you so much yeah that's yeah i mean even we have some, uh, well, we now have some mutual friends in, in common here. And, uh, many of them were in that, uh, that group of people that were coordinating either in Macedonia or here in, uh, Washington, DC. Um, you know, two, two different Chris's actually two people named Chris, you're Chris. And then there's another Chris and, um, they were helping to coordinate and make this happen. So a uh, small world. And then that connected us, but I, I do, did you, were you, how did you meet back up with your parents? Cause you were separated at when you first got to the airport. Yes. Well, I managed to save the last three girls, but at that time I, I couldn't get in touch with my parents. I, mm-hmm. There was nothing I could do for my own parents. And I was among our group of 150 students. Uh, I was the last one who was entering the U.S. US forces plane. Because uh, I was, I was sad. I was depressed. I wasn't sure that if I'm going to, if I wanted to leave, because leaving that moment was turning my back to my family, <laughs> leaving them behind. It's being so selfish of me to think only about myself. I'm still feeling guilty about that. It's it's honest answer because I I every step that I take towards the, the plane that was coming to my mind I will not be able to see my parents ever again and still I made the decision I get on the plane I, I, I've been rescued I've been saved I, the US forces brought us to the United States it gives me and our whole team a second chance to live a hope for the future it saved our lives so I'm super grateful for the U.S. government, U.S. forces, and whoever played a role in saving us. But personally, for me, it is still as everyday question. I'm asking myself every morning that I'm waking up from my dreams, was it worth it to leave your family behind? And unless I'm succeeded in the United States, Unless I get the educations and be able to build this financial system for Afghanistan, be able to make a change in the world in a greater, greater than myself, it will be worth it. But if I'm going to just survive and just live a 
as if never nothing ha- ever happened, then it was not worth it. Because right. I giving up on the people you love the most, the people that you respect the most, your family is like being part of you, is very difficult decisions to make. And yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, look, so this podcast, what we talk about is the, you know, it's called the hero's journey, but it's personal growth, it's leadership development, it's going through adversity and coming out on the other side. Um, learning what we learn from that and applying it and helping others. And you're doing that at such a young age. How old are you now? Uh, well, I'm 19 years old. You're 19 years old. Yeah. I mean, look, I've interviewed a, a number of people and, and we all have, you know, yours is very unique because at such a young age to go through something like that. And I'm sure that you're probably still, even, even though it's been a little, like almost a year, still kind of processing a lot of that living here and, in the United States, getting acclimated to the country. I know that you were trying to get into college in Canada um, and that, you know, that unfortunately didn't work out. And here you are, you've been accepted to Virginia Tech. And like you said, um, you it's, I can hear it in your voice that you have a mission now, right? You want to succeed. You want to be the best version of yourself and do something to contribute and help the other people, the younger generation of Afghanistan, um, you know, and you're taking those steps one day at a time. You're starting by doing just one thing, just like your band says. Yes. Right. Yeah. Thank and you for the gift. Yeah, of course. And, and the bravery that it takes. And I think that that builds on, on itself. And you're also an example for others, right? That they can do it also. And here you are, you're going to Virginia Tech. Do you, and your first semester, I think is what you're trying to raise funds for right now, correct? Like to buy a computer, to get, get into school, be prepared for the fall. Yeah, well, first, we we are at the moment in the middle of a fundraising for my education, first year of education in Virginia Tech. Well, because of my status in the United States, I am being classified as an international student for tuition purposes. Mm. So I have to pay higher tuition. And unfortunately, this same status that I have right now is not making me eligible to apply for uh, for a scholarship that what that is available in the Virginia Tech or in the U.S. Uh, that are providing by the U.S. government. So I'm all on my own on private sponsoring and raising funds to go through first year of education. I'm hopeful, and we are trying our best to get get it done and raise enough money for me to attend. This year in Virginia Tech, that is about to start on fall in August, and I'm I'm super excited about it. As you said, yes, we all have very difficult times in our life, but it's up to us that we decide to move forward, or we just stuck to the problems and stay one period of the time in our life. And I'm. Super grateful for everyone that all helped me during this last years that I moved into United States to get through every single day to process all these traumas and to set up my missions to help me raise funds for my educations and to help me get settled down and and help me to process this yeah. and I'm. Uh, as you also mentioned that, yes, we we become wiser by our age. 
last year version of me was very naive if she was living in a in a moment she wasn't sure about what the challenges what the risk what downfall the life could brought to her but this version of me that's sitting here today this room with you has experienced a lot of un, unprotected challenges and i'm i'm grateful that i managed to go through all those risks and challenges and be able to succeed and it's it makes me wiser now when i whenever i'm making a plan i am looking at both side of it what would be the best case scenario what would be the worst case scenario and how can i eliminate the risks how can i go through challenges to accomplish the objective or the goal that i set for myself so yes that is the the good part that i i learned from this all experience i hear you talking about is that you've been building resilience even from a young age just those experience that those experiences that we have that add up to a new perspective a shift in thought process and I just hear that you want to overcome challenges. What I also heard you say earlier was that you have a vision for Afghanistan. What is that vision? What is it that you want to do with this education and contribute uh, back to the people of Afghanistan? Uh, thank you for asking these questions. Yes. Um, well, we will never reach a bright future if we, unless we dream about it. So my vision for Afghanistan is to transfer the financial system that existed in Afghanistan right now, to modernize it, to build a modern financial system for, for the whole country. What's it like now? It's, it's called the Hawala system. It's part of um, the financial system that is in Afghanistan. It is a very old, Hawala system is very old. It existed since 8th century. What, what, is, what is bad about this system is it leads to corruptions. So if we think about how the government collapsed in the hands of the Taliban, Hawala was playing a huge role in it. Because through this Hawala system, the Taliban were transferring their money from outside the country to inside the country and then distributed among their militia in different parts of the country. This is how they succeeded, how they, how they get stronger day-to-day basis and the other part is that this Hawala system is being used by terrorists by money uh, by money it it leads to money laundering because it is so easy it's just between two people you just trust it you give your hands you 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 just handed your money to the the next person and that would make a phone call to, to friends and then the other side that guy was making the payment to another person that you introduced to them. So it is this way how it happens. So the money is actually not physically being transferred. It's being trust upon the trust that is happening. This is how it leads to corruption. And it's one is the system that is being used by the human trafficking people, the money laundering people. It's crop. It's really corrupted, and the government unfortunately has no control on it. The last government was trying to fix things, but it it needs it needs a new system, a modernized system. And you want to change that? That's absolutely right. I want to do that. I want to. 
I want to make a modernized financial system for Afghanistan to be audible. Government can track it. Government can record it. Uh, be taxable. The government can get benefit from it. Most of all, it be accessible to all the people. People can access it and people can trust it. As I said, on Hawala system, a lot of times civilians, normal people will face frauds on it. Because you hand your money to the other person and then the next person, this person is gone. There is no way that you can find this person or take your money back. And you can't prove that you gave them that money. Absolutely. That's that's the part. And my vision is to build this system that the government can control it. Well, I'm saying government, I'm in, I'm in post-Taliban government. Right. Not for the Taliban government, yeah. yes. And then government can can audit it, can, can record it, can tax it, and people can have access to it. Most importantly, if we have a financial system and it's it avoids corruptions and people be able to save their monies, make uh, feasible investment. Most importantly, this existence or building of such a system for Afghanistan will help Afghanistan to move another step to economic prosperity, establishing its own stock market that people can invest in businesses inside the country rather than the current practice that all people doing is investing in outside the country because we don't have a stock market. And then eventually this economic prosperity will lead to economic development, rise in incomes, people will get more money, they will get more security, and it it leads to to level up the living standard for the people. The quality of life. Yes, absolutely, the quality of life. Yeah. So this is the vision that I have for Afghanistan, and I'm 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 going to uh, Virginia Tech. I'm intended to study computer science and also finance, but most importantly, I'm so into artificial intelligence, and I'm about to take available courses on that or participate in researches because if you know about artificial intelligence, it's going to be the future. So if I'm trying to make a build a system for Afghanistan, I need this 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 intelligence, this artificial intelligence to build to help me to make a transparent and as resilient financial system for Afghanistan for post Taliban Afghanistan. Yeah, you're preparing yourself with all the tools that you'll need to accomplish your goal. Yeah. I mean look, Asma, like I I really appreciate you sharing your story with us, sharing your message. What I just hear is a story of resilience, overcoming adversity, bravery. You know, you, you could have easily have not done the things that you did to help those other uh, people that was on the bus, but also yourself. You could have been scared and said to your sister, no, you're not going to provide the information because what if I get caught? But you acted in the opposite of that. Bravery is not not having fear. It's taking action, even though you have the fear and you did that. So I hear a story of bravery and um, I want to be along for this ride. I know that we're collected. We're, I know that we're connected through a couple of different people that we have in common and, and I'm looking forward to you doing some pretty amazing things. And, um, I really appreciate you sharing your message with us here today. I want to see you succeed and I want to help you any way that I can to raise those, raise those funds for school 
and to just help you in any way I can find the right mentors, find the right people to help you succeed in your mission. Um, and you know, before I let you go, what's your message? Like if anyone's listening from Afghanistan or anyone that's here that also made it out on that bus or any other subsequent plane ride and they're listening to this and they can hear you, what's your message for them? Thank you for asking these questions and thank you for having me in your podcast. For everyone who is listening to this, um, thank you so much for your time and for listening to this podcast. There are a few things that I want to highlight it. Number one, I am I'm very grateful for the U.S. government, especially to the U.S. forces, to their missions, to their services that they did in Afghanistan. These 20 years have had brought us peace and stability that, that girls like me, that women like me get educations, get work, work out, work um, employment and was able to uh, get a lot of rights that they do not have it at the moment. I know your services did not come for the sacrifices and you lost your teammate, your friend and for some of you, your family member, it might be your father, your mothers. I am sorry for your loss. I'm truly sorry. And I want you to know this, that those services meant a lot, especially to Afghan women, to me, to my family. And it was never in a, in a waste. It will never go unnoticed. Forever, we are very grateful for, for all those things that you did for us. And second of all, I want to I wanna tell you that you might face a lot of challenges in the life, in this life. And honestly, sometimes things happen outside of our control, unpredicted challenges. And you will fall down in the life. I want you to know it's up to you to stand up, to fight for every day. Change is not going to happen in a single day. We all know about it. But as a friend of mine is almost saying, we, we, will, we will fail if we quit. So I want you to keep fighting and to do not quit. And I'm sure you will reach prosperity and happiness. And my third news, uh, third point is, if you're listening to this, please remember that there are women in Afghanistan that are still stuck under the Taliban rule, under the Taliban government. And if you can help them in any possible way, maybe it's just writing a sentence in your social media, please do so. Please remember that they are all part of a society that are in Afghanistan, that are left, that the world has forgotten about them. Please remember them. Please pray for them. And if you could, Please help them. I did what I could. I did my part. Now it's up to you, up to the world's, world's leader, what they can do. And I pray everyone to do what they can do. And I am right now fighting, still fighting against the tall one. It's not if the fight is over. They take the government. They took all the dreams that I had. 
to take our money, our house, our property, everything. But most of all, they take the dream of a better future away. And if I let that happen, I will lose this war. But I'm not going to do that. I will keep fighting. I need to get this education because if I get my education, I will win. And if I do not get the education, the Taliban will obviously win because they secured that no matter whether you are in Afghanistan or you are outside of Afghanistan, you cannot get to education. You cannot get this all knowledge and all things that you need to make the world a better place, Afghanistan a better place. So I'm so grateful for every one of you listening or even if you want to make donations. Thank you so much in advance. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Well, Asma, thank you so much for sharing your message. I appreciate you being here and I'm looking forward to great things from you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's such a great pleasure to meet you. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.